We thank the Lord for his goodness and his mercy as always. Um, we thank him for the opportunity to be able to, uh, to share his, uh, his word and his scripture. And um, we are going to uh, begin to uh, pick up where we left off uh, on last week. So last week we began a, uh, we continued in a discussion here in a lesson. We are in the book of Psalms and hopefully on your screen, you should um, have um, a slide up that uh, um, saying um, basically for the book of Psalms, um, it should now, as I'm changing the screen, you should now see uh, the first three scriptures in Psalms chapter 27. The word of God says this, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even my enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Amen. Now, we have been... Um, the Lord's been blessing us and has been giving us some good information um, um, as we have gone into and, and have been diving into Psalms 27. We're going to continue with that. We've learned a lot about um, the book of Psalms in general. We did a whole um, series on the book, uh, just really almost a survey, an overview of the book of Psalms. We've done all of that. We've learned a lot of different aspects of the Psalms. We've learned that there are different categories that the Psalms uh, fall into. And that's one of the things that we've learned. We learned that of these different types of categories that the Psalms fall into, that there are about eight of those actual categories. When we first started, we went through the first seven. Um, and then later on in a later lessons, we also added on a eighth category. And that was the prophetic or the messianic um, category of the Psalms. So there are eight classification or eight categories of Psalms that we talked about. Now, when we get to Psalms 27, what we also discovered is, is, is that Psalms 27 actually falls into one of those categories. And the one that it falls into is that of the category of a lament or a lamentation song. Amen. Psalm. Uh, we learned that the Psalms are to be sung. We learned that the Psalms are for personal edification. We also learned that the Psalms are for, uh, for um, edification of our brothers and sisters. So they don't just have an application um, for ourselves, but they also have a use, <clears throat> pardon me, they also have a use that goes beyond just us, and that use is for our brothers and sisters. But we also learn through the scripture, especially in the New Testament, we learn that there are some, there are guidelines. God put in some bumper rails, so to speak, when it comes to the Psalms that literally tell us how to use these Psalms. And one of the things that we learned that is, is that when it comes to using the Psalms, especially in the purpose or for the purpose of edifying our brothers and sisters. So when we're edifying, we're building them up, okay? When we're edifying another person or a brother or a sister, we, we're, we're building into them. We're not tearing them down. We're not trying to destroy them. We're not trying to take them apart. We're not trying to uh, intellectually conquer anybody. That is not the purpose. And if you call, and if we call ourselves edifying somebody and those negative things that I just spoke of come across, then there's a newsflash. Guess what? We're not really edifying anybody, okay? When you're edifying someone or someone is being edif edified, all right, 
um, we are, we, you're, you're seeking the best for that person. You're trying to educate that person. You're trying to help that person. Now that does not mean that in edification that a person will not be offended. You got to understand the word of God, the Bible teaches is sharper than a two-edged sword. Amen. It go, it, it, it cuts both ways. Okay. Amen. And the word of God, we also learned uh, further on that it is light. Amen. Our scripture tells us, uh, David says, the Lord is the strength of my life. But he starts out with, in verse one, it's saying the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? When we're edifying someone or we're building into someone, trying to be an encouragement, trying to be a help, brothers and sisters, it does not mean that at times when you do that, that the person you are trying to help will not be offended. It doesn't mean that at all, okay? So do not mistakenly associate um, edification with the concept or the ideology that there, uh, that there will never be offense. No, the word of God, amen, is either going, is, the word of God is gonna always cut right to the chase, gonna always get right to the, to the, to, to the meat of the matter. And the word of God will always challenge a person ethically and morally. It's going to do that. It's going to do that. The word of God is going to absolutely challenge where you are. So even when you are edifying, even with Psalms, even or any other scripture that we are using, we're to edify, okay? When we are engaging in the process of edification, there will be times where people come away offended, but the offense should never be, and I'm going to say that again, the offense should never be because you and I have been disrespectful or we have walked outside of the character of the scripture that the Bible plainly uh, makes uh, known to us that that's the way we're supposed to walk in or that's the way we're supposed to live. We should always be walking in and portraying the love of Jesus Christ. And it's a difference. It's one thing to walk away from a, uh, from, uh, from a session where you are, where someone is intending to edify you. It is one thing to walk away from that, okay, offended because the word of God stepped on your toes, because the word of God is going to do that. If you are wrong, that word of God is about to tell you you are wrong. You're not going to sidetrack that. You're not going to sidestep that. You're not going to undo it. You're not going to rewrite anything. You're not going to make something be that it isn't. No, the word of God does has no gray areas. And the word of God is light because God is light. Amen. And so the word of God is always going to expose what is crooked, even if what is crooked is residing in you and me. It's going to do that. And when the word of God challenges that, brothers and sisters, there, there are going to be times where you come away, I come away, or can, or can come away offended. The offense should be because the word of God has spoken true, has gotten right to the heart of the matter, and, should, and, 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 and I'm offended because of that. In other words, my problem is with the scripture or it's with God, okay? What should not happen when we're edifying one another is that a person walks away from that encounter with us offended at us. And usually that's something that happens when, when our delivery and our mannerisms and the things that, uh, 
uh, and the way that we say and the way we approach an issue um, doesn't rely completely on the word of God, but we allow ourselves to kind of bleed into um, our so-called edification. So subtract yourself when you're edifying someone and let the word speak for the word. Let God be God. Don't be God for him. You don't need that. He don't want that. And you can't even do that. Me neither. So when you're sharing the word of God with someone, the best thing that we can do is let God speak through the word. Now, we've learned that Psalms 27 found, fell into the category of a lamentation psalm. We learned that there were two types of lamentation psalms. There are the community lament, uh, psalms of lamentation, and then there are individual psalms of lamentation. Amen. We learned about um, these types of things. Uh, psalms 27 falls into that uh, category of that personal um, lamentation. But we said that the community lamentation are psalms that deal with situations of a national crisis, okay? So they're on a larger scale. They're more on the world scale, so to speak. And then you have those individual psalms of lamentation where, where, where the, the writer is, is lamenting. And, and, and he, in this lament, he is addressing, right, various isolated troubles or problems that are relevant or uh, to him or to that or to the writer. So he's talking about, he, it, it's, it's not, Lord, they're, they're attacking us. No, it's, Lord, they're attacking me. Lord, the enemy is after me. And that's the difference. The community version of that is on the we. But the individual aspect of that is on the I. It's on the personal. And the Bible makes room for both of that, for both of those scenarios, for both of those types of lamentations. Amen. So we went further with that. Then we went in and we gave examples and we got into uh, down to God being light and salvation. These are characteristics of God, amen, or attributes of God. We explained that attributes of God are simply characteristics that belong uniquely to God, all right? Only God is, om is omnipresent. Only God is everywhere at the same time, at the same place. Only God, only God can do that. Only God is omnipotent, amen. Only God has all power. And, and those are characteristic and those are things that belong uh, only to God. But then we learned about we, uh, some other uh, characteristics of God. And these are attributes of God that are not the mainstream ones. Now, when I say mainstream, I mean that in the sense that these are not the ones that we traditionally talk about. We usually talk about omnipresent, omniscience, and, 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 and omnipotence, and all of these different things um, his immutability, uh, God is eternal, all of these things, those are the things that usually get the highlight. Those are the things that are usually talked about as far as the character of God. But there are other attributes of God that are unique to God that we don't talk about that much, or we have not been accustomed to looking at as an attribute of God. We've dealt with it. For example, salvation is one of them. Now, David says here, the Lord is my light and my salvation. And we learned that light and salvation are also attributes of God. Amen. Glory to God. We learned these things. We learned that God is not a color. God does not have an ethnicity. Amen. That's something that all of us need to, need to realize and need more of, especially nowadays with all of the racial tensions and social injustice and things that are going on. We've got to remember that we're a part of a, 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 we're part of, of, of another kingdom. We're part of, of God's people. And God's people, amen, can't be pigeonholed 
by ethnicity. We can't afford to stop at color of skin and all that other kind of stuff. God don't have no place for none of that. No, no. God don't have any place for any of that. God don't have no color. God has no color. God is a spirit. And we learn that, um, in, especially uh, in the book of St. John, chapter 424, God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Amen. We learn in Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. <laughs> hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Amen. Job 9.32, for he is not a man as I am that I should answer him and we should come together in judgment. So the Bible is very clear when it talks about God. God is not a man. God is a spirit. Glory to God. And so we learn this, but we learn that that spirit had a characteristic. We learn that, that there, there is a visual characteristic or there can be a visual characteristic to the presence of God. Um, God in his, in, in his spirit form as a spirit. So in other words, when he's not taking the form of anything else, brothers and sisters, God has the ability to take the manifest himself, which simply means to reveal himself in different forms. When God does not choose to do that, to manifest himself in a different form. So when he, he does have the ability to reveal himself in an un uh, manifested form by in, in, in the area of something that we recognize. So in other words, he doesn't have to take the shape or the form of a man. He doesn't have to do that. God doesn't have to do that. In the Old Testament, he does that, that at various times. That is what is known as a theophany. And we have of these different things, but God is not, God does not have to do that. There are times where God can make uh, himself visible just as he is to a certain degree. And what he makes visible is what is known as his glory. Amen. And his glory, we only, he only allows us to see it to a certain degree because no man can look on God and live. So God has to taper it down. God has to tone it down. God has to give us something that we can, you know, that we can see and obviously not perish from as a result of seeing. So we learned that. And we learned that God's, um, we learned that part of God's glory is light. Amen. Glory to God. Now, when we move forward uh, uh, from yesterday, from last week, I should say, rather, we learned uh, some characteristics about God being light because the scripture teaches us very plainly, amen, that God is light. Now, we, we know that, okay? We know that God is light. And then the Bible makes that very, very, uh, very plain. First John 1 and 5 tells us, this then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light, amen, and in him is no darkness at all. You can take that a step further and you can look at Psalms 104 verses 1 through 2, which says, bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, thou art very great. Thou art clothed with honor and majesty, who coverest thyself with light as with a garment, who stretched out the heavens like a curtain. So light or the manifestation of light and different aspects of it um, can often be associated with the glory of God when he makes it visible. So when God chooses to make something visible, you're going to see, uh, many people see light. And we gave the example of, of Paul. 
on the Damascus Road, Acts of 22 and 11, and uh, Acts 26 and 13. And I invite you to look that up when you have some time. Now, with that, we learned a couple things. That there, that's one aspect of it, but we also learned that there are spiritual senses or applications um, for the word light or God being light, man. And in the spiritual sense, when we talk about God being light, we learned on last week that light, um, uh, that, that uh, light is also represented by knowledge or knowledge is also a representation or a form of light. Amen. We learned that wisdom is a form or a representation of light. We learned that discernment is a form or a representation of light. And we learned that conscience is a, is a form or a representation of light. We learned that knowledge, um, the light of knowledge provides positional awareness. Amen. Because I have light, I can see where God is. I can see where I am and I can see where everyone else is. I can visibly make that stuff out because wisdom is light. That means I have contextual uh, awareness or relational awareness, which means that I'm able to gauge proximity to the things that I see. See, with knowledge, I can just see it. But with wisdom, I can gauge the big picture. I can see the proximity and I can see the proximity of how, of how close or how far away any and everything else is to what I see. Um, light is also referred to, um, or uh, discernment is also characteristic or is a form of light. And that provides motivational um, awareness. And we're not talking about motivational in the sense of, you know, somebody motivating you. No, we're talking about it in the sense of being able to distinguish the intent of things or people around you externally, okay? It, discernment allows you to determine or to distinguish the intent of things around you or those around you externally. So, so discernment is, 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 is light that allows you to see the external. But then conscience, which is also light, that is the reverse. That allows you to see the internal. The Bible teaches us God has given light to every man. We know that in John 1, 9, tells us that. St. John 1, 9 um, shows us and shows us that God has given light to every man. But when we talk about light or conscience or the light of conscience, right, what we're talking about is ethical or moral awareness. And this is why we say, whereas discernment is external, allows you to see the intent of those externally outside of you, conscience allows you to determine and to see, amen, the intent or the motive of yourself in which you are operating. So self-examination, self-awareness, and that's what it allows you to do. Now, when we ended, we talked about, we got a little bit into, uh, into this concept of salvation. Now, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? And we know now that this is really almost a rhetorical question where the, where the question itself or the statement answers the question without you even having to. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Well, the obvious answer is, is that there's no one to fear. Brothers and sisters, there is nobody to fear. As long as God is light and God is salvation, there is nobody to fear. You won't have anybody that you need to be afraid of. And the writer here hammers that point home. 
but he uses a word here and he says salvation. And salvation is a concept. Um, it, is a, um, it is a teaching, um, but it is also what we don't often realize it, salvation is actually a attribute or a characteristic of God. You know, we don't normally look at it like that because we look at it from the standpoint of being saved or we look at it from the standpoint of the operation of salvation as according to scripture. And if you don't know what the operation is according to scripture, you need to read, make sure you take some time where you are reading the book of Acts chapter two and you're starting at verse uh, 30, you know, start at verse 36 and just read on all the way through and you'll get the, and you will get that. But the Bible uh, is very specific, amen, about what we have to do and what is required for salvation. Now, we are used to talking about salvation from that perspective, but we don't always talk about it from the perspective of salvation actually being an attribute or a characteristic of God. And this is what David the writer here was actually talking about because he says, the Lord is my salvation. Amen. Whom shall I fear? Amen. Salvation is a central theme in scripture. Everybody needs it. Everybody, whether they realize it or not, everybody needs to be saved. Second Peter chapter three, verse nine says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Brothers and sisters, that's salvation. And what that scripture is telling you right there, that what God wants, even though he knows he's not going to get it, what he wants is everybody to be saved. He don't want anybody to perish. God does not want, look, contrary to the lies that the enemy puts out there and the messages that people try to put out there to slander our Lord's good name and the way of holiness, listen, it is not God's will that any should perish. God is not on a throne somewhere plotting your demise and your downfall. He don't have to do that. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. You engage in sin, listen, you plotting your own demise and your own downfall. Sin gonna bring you down just on GP because sin brings death. It causes everything around you to die. So God ain't got to sit up nowhere plotting how to bring you down. If you are engaged in sin, if I am engaged in sin, guess what? You gonna go down on the strength of sin alone because sin don't have an upside. Sin does not have a brighter day. No, it don't. The wages of sin, it, brothers and sisters, it's still death. And that is not going to change. That is written. The wages of sin is death. But it is the gift of God that is eternal life through Christ Jesus. What God wants is for men to be saved. But what men keep choosing is not to be saved. They want death. And so how do they want death? They want it because they continue in sin. And brothers and sisters, if you're listening to this and you don't have some things straight, listen, listen, there is no winner in the game of sin. You're going to lose. So don't even go into that camp. Then we have 1 Timothy chapter 2, 3 through uh, three and 4. says this, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of our, of God, our Savior, who will have all men to be saved. Now, if it wasn't clear before, when I read it in 2 Peter, it should be clear now. Who will have all men 
be saved and to come unto the knowledge of truth. Amen. Everybody needs it. But there is a problem because not everybody is aware of this need. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse three through verses three through four says this. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light, amen, there it is again, of the glorious gospel, and there's that glory, light and glory, the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them, amen. Not everybody is aware. There are people <coughs> that are blinded, amen. They are blinded and they don't know. Why? Because the enemy is, has blinded them. How did it happen? Because we hid the gospel. Listen, what you don't do that God tells you to do, the devil will always exploit. Let's read that scripture again. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Look at the language of the scripture. If our gospel, not meaning you come up with your own gospel, we're talking about Jesus' gospel, so that's what's being referred to. So the gospel here is not your own story, amen. The gospel here is not your own personal testimony. No, no. The gospel is the message of Jesus Christ. It is the, it is the virgin birth. It is the life. It is the death. It is the burial, sentient resurrection, all that. That is the gospel message. And so when we, the Bible is talking about if our gospel be hid, what it's talking about is if we hide that because we have been given the assignment to take that message. Amen. We have been given and instructed to take that message to the world. And for and 2 Corinthians chapter 4 here, verse, uh, verse uh, 3 says, but if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Why? Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. The gospel is not supposed to be hidden. Because when it is, those who are lost are at stake of being completely lost. When I say that, I mean going to hell. So we can't afford to, to, to sit on that. No, we can't sit on the gospel. We got to share that gospel. Listen, if it was good enough to save you, if it was good enough to save me, it's good enough to save any and everybody else. Don't you sit in the seat of deciding who's worthy of receiving the gospel because at the bottom line and at the end of the day, not even you was worthy to receive that gospel. I was not worthy to receive so great a message, a life-changing, a soul-saving message. I was not worthy. You were not worthy. So don't sit yourself in the seat of judge, jury, and executioner. That ain't your job, and that ain't what you're called to do. You and I are called to be salt and light as the Lord is. Amen. The same thing that he is, he's called us to do or to represent or to, or, or to pattern after. Okay. Don't just don't don't take it upon yourself to decide whether this person, you know what they've done, they've done too much. No, wait a minute. You did too much. I did too much. And if God was willing to forgive me, 
The Bible teaches us that the Lord will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. That means that it is God's prerogative to save anybody. It don't matter what they have done or how they have wronged you or what, or what relationship you have with them in the past. It does not matter. Salvation, the Bible says, is of the Lord. It is his prerogative. It is his business. And it is his choice. And if God wants to save the person that did you wrong the most, you still got to share that gospel because it is not God's will that any should perish. And our place is to represent God. See, we're part of the heavenly kingdom. We're not just part of, a, of, of an ethnical group, whatever that may be, no matter what your ethnicity is. You are part of God's kingdom and God's kingdom supersedes everything else. And because you are part of God's kingdom, you are, you have, you, because you are part of God's kingdom, you have to represent, I have to represent the interests of God's kingdom. God, the scripture teaches us, has made us ambassadors, which means we are representatives of his kingdom. So when we operate in this world, our message can't be the same as the world. No, no. Our message has to represent the message of heaven. Our message has to be in line with the doctrine of heaven because doctrine is the rule set of heaven. We don't get to come up with our own stuff. We've got to do what God said do. And we as ambassadors must represent the interests of heaven. And the interest of heaven is, is that all men should be saved. That's the interest. So we got to be in that same vein. Now, and then you have those folks who don't, not only who, who do know, or who have been made aware that they need salvation, but they just don't want it. And there's nothing you can do about that. Now, the word salvation here is very interesting. Amen. It's very interesting as it is used here. Okay. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Now, when we talk about salvation here, or when David uses it here, there are many different applications or uh, definitions. There are different definitions in the scripture for salvation. And when you talk about salvation, you can talk about it from many different perspectives or different angles. Okay. You can talk about it, you know, from in different senses. Okay. And, um, and, um, and many people do, but in this scripture, it is actually being used in a particular sense. Now to give you a, to, to, to build the foundation of this, um, I want you to know and be aware that the word here, when you actually defined it, okay, uh, yeshaw is actually that word, or yeshaw, um, depending on your uh, pronunciation of that. And even then, I probably still butchered it. Um, I probably have to be legitimately, you know what I'm saying, uh, be, uh, Jewish or, you know, and, and, and practicing speaking Hebrew in order to get it just right. But um, for all intents and purposes, the word in the Hebrew is yesha, okay? Amen. And what it means is deliverance, rescue, okay? Um, safety uh, or, welfare, or welfare, okay? Now, the interesting thing about this, okay, is, is that this word has three different senses in which, it's, in which it is used, Okay. There, it is used in the physical sense, salvation in the physical sense, okay? There is salvation in the spiritual sense, 
And then there is a state that it talks about or a state of salvation or uh, um, that of safety and it's used. And when the word salvation is used here, it has three different senses that it can be used, but there actually is one that in which it is one sense that actually applies to it. And that we learn from the context. It's from the context that we know. Many times when the scripture um, was translated, you have to understand, and this is why we say context is important. So don't go around just trying to interpret the scripture uh, just with, you know, on your own intuition and on your gut feeling. Leave your gut feeling at the door. Get in, get in that prayer room and in that closet with God and let God talk to you and let God explain to you and let God show you. God, listen, we, God is not dead. The word of God is not old. It is timeless. And you must understand when you come to the word of God, that, listen, you can't just really, you can't just categorize God's word and shovel it off to the corner saying that you can just, you know, you know, just, you can define it with a dictionary and all the kind of, yes, all of those things are good and all the things are helpful, but you must understand the author of this word is still living. <laughs> God is still alive. And so you can't just do your own studying and don't do no praying. You need God to weigh in so that he can adjust your thinking when your natural man gets ready to go sideways and go to the left and you start to interpret it through the lens of the flesh. You got to make sure you got God in the situation, in the room, in your study session so that he can make sure you get it right. Now, salvation here, there are three different senses. And when we use it, you can be talking about salvation in the physical sense, okay? And, it, and when you talk about it in the physical sense, it means uh, uh, preserving one from harm or unpleasantness. To give you an example of that, look at Second uh, Samuel chapter 22, uh, verse 3. This is an example of where this particular sense of the word is being used. And in it, Second Samuel chapter 22, verse 3 says this, the God of my rock, amen, the God of my rock in whom will I trust, he is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my high tower and my refuge, my savior, thou savest me from violence. Samuel here, the writer here is talking about physical salvation. Okay, being saved in the natural. Literally, something dangerous is getting ready to happen. Harm is getting ready to befall me. And that is what he's talking about. You see this again in Second Chronicles, excuse me, in First Chronicles, chapter 16, verse 35. You see another example of this physical aspect. It says, and say ye, save us, O God of our salvation, and gather us together and deliver us from the heathen. Look at the language. And deliver us from the heathen, that we may give thanks to thy holy name and glory in, the, in thy praise. The writer's talking about deliver us from, he's talking about physical deliverance. They are in trouble. The children of God, they are dealing with situations and they are physically in danger. And he's saying, deliver us. So that's physical salvation. Another sense of the word is spiritual or the act of delivering a person from sin or saving that person from evil. So in examples of that, you look at Psalms 50 and verse 23. The Bible says this in Psalms 50, verse 23, whoso offereth praise glorifieth me and to him who ordereth his conversation aright, 
will I show the salvation of God? That's spiritual salvation. That's what he's talking about. Look at Psalm 51, verse 12. Glory to God. Talking about spiritual salvation or the different senses in which salvation is used. All right. Restore unto me the joy of what? Thy salvation. And uphold me with thy free spirit. David is talking about that spiritual salvation. Deliver, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. He's talking about it or addressing it from the spiritual sense. Now look at Psalm 69 and look at verse 13. Psalm 69, verse 13, another example of the spiritual sense. But as for me, my prayer is unto thee, O Lord, in an, ac an acceptable time. O God, in the multitude of thy mercies, hear me. In, thy, in the truth of thy salvation. Again, these are examples of where salvation is being used, but it is speaking from a spiritual standpoint. And then there is, it can be used to refer to a state. And that state is that of safety or being safe from harm or from danger. And an example of that, if you look at Job chapter five, verse four, this is an example of where it's used like that or where it means that regardless of the English word it is translated or is used, this is an example of where this Hebrew word or this word for salvation can be used in this context. Bible says this, Job 5, 4, his children are far from safety and they are crushed in the gate. Neither is there any to deliver them. He's talking about a place of safety. And salvation being referred to is referring to a state or a place of safety. Another example is Psalms chapter 12 or the 12th number of the Psalms. Look at verse number five. Bible says this, for the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now will I arise, saith the Lord. I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. That's talking about salvation as a state. Amen. Okay. Notice the language of the scripture. I will set him in safety. That's a place he's referring to a place. Amen. Now in Psalms 27 and one in our scripture here, the word sense that David is actually emphasizing is the physical sense. The writer is saying that God is talking when he talks about because he is talking about this from the physical perspective, then what he is literally act, literally conveying, what the writer is literally saying to us is, is that God is literally physical or natural salvation. And because he is this, there is no one or nothing that I need to be afraid of. Glory to God. God, listen, God is able to not just deliver you from mental anguish. God is not just able to deliver you spiritually, which we all need that, and which is arguably the most important aspect of it all. You need to be delivered spiritually. Your soul needs to be saved. Amen. And if you are not, that needs to be a priority. Because the Bible teaches that it is appointed unto man once to die. And after this, the judgment, the book of Hebrews tells us that. You and I will stand before God one day. And there will be a conversation. 
And brothers and sisters, don't let that day come and you don't have the blood of Christ on the doorpost of your heart. You don't want that conversation to take place and you're not covered by the blood. No, 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 no. You need to be spiritually saved. Amen. And that's that spiritual, that, 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 that's the spiritual application of it. But David wants you to understand that, guess what? God is my physical salvation. So when I have a physical need, when I'm going through something in the natural, you don't just serve a God that is able to do something about the mental, the emotional, and the spiritual, but you serve a God that got all power. And he's able to do something even when it concerns the natural. See, God is still God over absolutely everything. Glory to God. Glory to God. In that B portion of verse of chapter 27 of Psalms, verse number one, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? He moves and he then tells us the Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Now, the phrase strength of my life, glory to God. That phrase adds a level of description to God, this reality or this concept that David was putting forth when he is describing God as not only spiritual salvation, not only uh, 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 um, um, mental and, and all these other areas, but God being physical salvation. The phrase strength of my life adds a, 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 an extra layer of depth to this concept of God being, or this description of God being his physical salvation. And it does so because the word strength here does not mean, and nor is it even used, in the sense of a power source or a source of strength. So when he says the Lord is the strength of my life, he's not saying the Lord is my power source. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that it is, he's not talking about strength in the sense of a source of power. That's not what he's talking about either at all. That's not where he's coming from. But strength here instead means a source of refuge. So he's not talking about a power source, unconnected, just I plug into God and, 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 I, and, 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 and I siphon energy my, and strength from God. That's not what he's talking about. Although God is that, 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 that's not what he's talking about. Amen. But he's talking about, strength here talks about a source of refuge. Amen. In other words, strength here actually means a fortified place. It means a defensive place. It is indicative of a fort or a stronghold, but not just any type of fort and not just any type of stronghold. But what this word strength here or this phrase strength of my life actually represents and means, it literally means a mountain stronghold. Glory to God. So this is a this is a this is a stronghold. Amen. This is that is not just that is not like any other stronghold. But it is a it is a mountain stronghold. So which means it is an elevated stronghold. 
It is a stronghold. It is a place. He's saying the Lord in the Lord. And when he says is the, when the Lord is the strength of my life, what he was saying is the Lord is my mountain stronghold. He's saying he is the stronghold for my life. Now, the significance of this, because brothers and sisters, it is important that you understand that we're not talking about just a regular stronghold, but a mountain stronghold. Because see, a mountain stronghold is harder to breach than a normal one. One, because it's elevated. Glory to God. Glory to God. Because it is elevated, it adds a layer of complexity and difficulty if an enemy should decide that they want to take or capture that stronghold. Because it is an elevated position, it means that the enemy who would determine or decide that he wants to overtake and overthrow, it means that if the enemy should decide that he wants to take hold or take control of this stronghold, it means he got an uphill battle. Glory to God. I hope you are hearing the glory of God and just seeing the amazing things that God has put in there. David said the Lord is the strength of my life. He is the mountain stronghold of my being is what he was talking about. And you got to understand if the enemy even almost act like he wants to come and take over. He has got an uphill battle. He is already at a disadvantage. Glory to God. Glory to God because it's a mountain stronghold. It's high and it's lifted because it is elevated. That means that what the enemy does is can't be done in secret because it is elevated you always have the ability to see what the enemy is up to. Now, 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 now that hinges on whether or not you're looking. But just because you're not looking don't mean you don't have the perfect vantage point to see what the enemy is doing. No, sir, brothers and sisters, if you are paying attention, if you are doing what Jesus instructed the disciples to do, what did he say? He said, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. You got to watch and pray. And I want you to know that you, God, you, how is it that I can just watch and I can pray? Because David makes it plain. The Lord is the strength of my life. I can watch and my watching won't be in vain because in God, I have an elevated position. I have an elevated location. David was saying he is the stronghold, the mountain stronghold. That means for the enemy to come up, he got to climb through rocks. He got to climb through all of this. And I don't know about you, but the word tells me that he is the rock of our salvation. Do you see that the enemy cannot just do what he wants to do? contrary to what he tries to deceive you and this nation into believing, wants you to think that he got more power than what he actually has. Listen, ain't nobody greater than God. And David was saying, not just spiritually, glory to God, not just mentally, but physically, he is my mountain stronghold. That ought to give somebody something to shout about because when you talk about the physical aspect, if God is your mountain stronghold and you are talking about it from the standpoint 
of the physical, then what that means, brothers and sisters, is that God is God over the things that happen to you in the natural. That means your that means sickness. That means money. That means all the things that you would need in the natural. God is still God over all of that. And not only is he God over all of that, but he is a mountain stronghold, meaning that he is your security for all of that. I, somebody is probably there. You there? You gonna meet people who worry about how they're gonna do this and how they're gonna do that? But David was saying that he is your mountain stronghold, not just in the spiritual, not just in the mental, but he is your stronghold even in the physical. God, I'm broke right now, and I and I need you, and I gotta pay this bill. God is your stronghold is what he's telling you. He's telling you, God, I'm, Lord, don't you see I'm sick and I'm afflicted and I don't feel good in body and I don't know when I'm going to get well. And the doctors are giving me reports and they're saying that it's not going to get any better than this or they're saying this is all that they can do. They've reached the end of their ability. David said, God is the mountain stronghold of my physical life. Glory to God. God said it don't stop because the world said they can't do no more. It's not over because the world says that I have nothing else to say. It's not over because society says that this is the best it's going to be. David said, God is my mountain stronghold. Not any other, not a regular stronghold, but my mountain stronghold. I'm lifted up so the enemy can't come and take me unawares. It's a mountain stronghold, which means that it's an uphill battle if the enemy wants to come after me. It's a mountain stronghold that means that when I begin to fight, it's going to be easier for me to hit the enemy than it is for the enemy to hit me. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Isn't God just wonderful? He just thought of it all. He said he's my mountain stronghold. My mountain stronghold. He said he's the strength of my life, which meant he he asked, Yo, do you know that you are that you that you are fortified by God? You 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 are encamped. The Bible says the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him. Do you know that you are secure in every way? You've got to stop making it a situation where God can only be God in certain situations. So you only trust him for certain things. You got to learn to let God be God in everything. Because he is God in every situation. Listen, brothers and sisters, when David was praying this prayer, when he was writing this song, when he was singing these verses, glory to God, you have to understand it was a song of lament. So it came from a place where David was being naturally attacked by his enemies. See, David wasn't praying for just no, no, no mental deliverance. He wasn't praying for just some spiritual deliverance. But David was praying for some physical deliverance because the enemy was knocking at his door. The enemy was at the borders. The enemy was at the gate. And he said, God, it's not a mental thing that I need you to do. It's not a it's not a spiritual thing that I need you to do. But God, I need you to rescue me. And are you crying out like David? God, rescue me. When the things in this life that you don't have answers for seem to bombard you and put you in a place where you're at your wit's end, 
and you're crying out to God and you need him to do something in the natural. Listen, the Bible says that the Lord is nigh thee. His word is nigh thee in your heart and in your mouth even. Stop putting God so far away making this, manufacturing this situation where God can do, God can only do what he can do in certain situations. I said, God is the God of the hills and of the valleys and of the mountains and of the rivers and of the oceans. He is the God of everything. He is that God. He is that God. And he is that good. And he is that concerned about you. And brothers and sisters, David is praying this prayer. And the beauty of it Keep in mind, this is the word of God. God saw fit that this be recorded. This is the type of prayer that you got to begin to pray. See, when you, listen, when you're in, besieged in the physical, in the natural, you got to start with a declaration that the Lord is my life and he is my salvation. See, when you start talking that way, when you begin, before you say, God, save me, before you say, God, rescue me, you got to declare, God, you already saved me. God, you're already rescuing me. God, you've already done this. God, I've seen you do this. You got to learn to lift God up. I got to learn to lift God up even when my flesh is getting the best of me and it seems like it's going to go the way. Listen, it don't, just because you are a child of God, don't mean that you're not going to be in an unemployment line sometime. It's not going to mean that you are not going to suffer ridicule and disrespect. No, it don't mean that. Being a child of God does not mean that you're not going to have some lean days. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have some times where everything falls apart. It doesn't mean that. Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes, time and chance happeneth to all things. There are some things that you're just not going to be able to explain, but it's going to hit you and hurt you nonetheless. The devil wants you to run and cower and, and hide in a hole. Like Elijah did after this great exploit, dealing with the prophets of Baal and the prophets of the grove. And just because Jezebel decides that she got a problem with it, here go Elijah running to a cave. Only for God to have to come and say, what you doing in here? Elijah feeling like it was just him. And God happened to remind him, hold on, wait a minute. I still have others who have not bowed their knee to Baal. I know that the world looks topsy-turvy, but I'm here to encourage somebody that God still got a remnant in this land that have not sold out, that know that it goes beyond the borders of anything that you this world might present, but it is about what God is able to do. And he's able to deliver. And he's able to save, and he's able to rescue. And I hope you know that this morning. I hope you know that this morning. The Lord is the strength of my life, the security. He is the mountain stronghold. He is the wall that surrounds me. Do you know he is the defense? He is the gate. He is the security system. He's the outlook. He's the guard. He's everything with my life that I can't protect on my own. I have a God who is looking out for me. And he has lifted me up above my enemies. Glory to God. Glory to God. He's lifted me up. He's lifted you up. 
And he's put you in a place where the enemy can't just get to you. And if you've been feeling that way, like this world's been getting to you and everything else has been getting to you, it's time to revisit what the Bible actually says. It's time to let go of the way you think. And it's time to go back to what God said. You got to learn to substitute what you think for what God said. I have to learn to substitute what I think for what God said. What God said will always trump what anybody else thinks. This is why prayer works. And when you pray, if you want results, what you need to do is begin to in your prayer to say what God has said. Because his word don't come back void. It's going to accomplish the thing into which he sent it. Wow.